Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And hello, I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of women over 70, aging reimagined, and we're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. Today, we are happy to welcome Mary Gray, age 86. She moved through small-town newspaper editing, big-time public relations, and corporate travel before she retired to write poetry, essays, magazine articles, and authored Poetic Justice. The manuscript was a semi-finalist as a novel in progress in the 2017 William Faulkner William Wisdom Creative Writing Competition before it was contracted to Adelaide Books. Mary, Mary Gray lives in Chicago. She is the ghostwriter for two memoirs, Gerald Fitzgerald's Africa by Air and John Hennebury's The Grim Reapers at Work in the Pacific Theater. Mary has delivered readings at the Chicago Public Library, the Printer's Row Book Fair, the Chicago Humanities Festival, the Emily Dickinson Poetry Series, the University of Chicago, DePaul University, and the Conference on College Composition and Communication. Mary Gray spent a term at the Ragdale Writers Retreat in Lake Forest and is a graduate of Northwestern University School of Journalism. She's active in local writers and book groups, works with Goodman Theater Gene Narrations. You'll have to tell us what that is, Mary Gray. Creating the spoken word and is a committee member of the Village of Chicago. We are most happy to welcome you to our Women Over 70 aging reimagined. Mary Gray, your background is fascinating, and being from Chicago myself, every place you mention is familiar. Would you tell us a little bit about your early life? Did you grow up in Chicago? Were you a reader as a child? How did you find your way to journalism? I was born in Libertyville, which is a far suburb, and was moved to Chicago when I was three um, by parents who really liked this city, and they they just kind of in, put the love of the city in me. I grew up in Chicago until I was in college, and then we moved to Evanston. Um, and I came, being in Evanston, of course, I, I wanted to go to Northwestern, which has a great journalism school. And my brother was a literature scholar, and I just adored him, and I wanted to do that, but I knew that that was a little beyond me. So I, I compromised with journalism, and I went to the Medill School of Journalism and loved it, and worked in public relations after that. Um, I, um, I think that, that journalism was the best thing for me at that point, because that was in 1955, and there were not many women in journalism at that time, and I wasn't that aggressive, and so I, I settled on public relations, which let me keep writing um, more creative than, than journalism, mm -hmm. of course. 
So that's how I got where I am and stuck with public relations for a long time. Um, went into travel late in my life when journalism got to be not very productive. <laughs> did, did you have a career in travel? I had a career in public relations, and then in travel, I had a 11 or 12-year career in travel, yeah. What, what did you do? I was a corporate travel agent. Um, we worked with only companies, and we we booked their their executives all over the world. And I, I got to feel very sorry for them because they went to places that I would love to have gone, but all they did was go to meetings, and so <laughs> they... They uh, traveled well, and they traveled comfortably because we always put them first class and um, put them in the best hotels. But it was a busy life for them. And it was exciting for me because travel was very good to travel agents when I was in it. They, the airlines were giving us free flights right and left. The hotels were booking us for nothing. So I did a lot of traveling when I was working as a travel agent. Um, my main character is a travel agent because you write what you know, and <laughs> I knew that well. Um, <laughs> I got a lot out of being a travel agent, mm-hmm. more, than, more than they get out now because the airlines are not quite so generous as they used to be. Mary Gray, where were some of the, your favorite uh, travel, places to travel? Oh, I traveled, well, I'm a, I'm a Scot, so I traveled to Scotland several times, traveled to Paris several times. I went to Africa. Uh, one of the books I was writing took place uh, during the, I mean, the, it was a memoir of the Second World War, the Pacific mm-hmm. Theater, and my, the main character, my hero, whose memoir I was writing, was stationed on um, New mm-hmm. Guinea. So I wanted to see what New Guinea was like, and I flew to New Guinea, and I wanted to see what what it was like to fly a a bomber. (laughs) And so I took a little private plane and flew the the altitude that bombers fly just to get the feeling of it. Um, I spoiled myself because everything I wrote about I wanted to experience, and so the memoir came out, and it, it was fairly authentic because I was doing all those things. Um, Probably my favorite place was Africa. And I was told that women who go to Africa very rarely leave Mm -hmm. because it's such a beautiful country. I would agree. Sad, sad but beautiful. You've been there, haven't you, Catherine? Um, I have. I've been to um, Tanzania and Kenya. Yeah, Kenya. I was in Kenya. I had my hair braided. you? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, most people bring back souvenirs. I went to the beauty shop, and I had enough hair to do it, but they added hair. <laughs> Maybe you have a picture of that that we can put on our Facebook. Yes, when we promote your episode. <laughs> so, so all right, you you ghost. How did you get into ghostwriting in the first place? I was asked to do it. Um, I had a friend who traveled the periphery of Africa in a little two-seater cub plane, and he traveled with a friend, and he wanted me to write that journey. 
So I did for him. Mm-hmm. And after that was over, he said, you know, you ought to call up Jack Henry because he's the guy he traveled with. And he was, he said, oh, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I said, okay, if you want it done, give me a call. So about two or three weeks later, I get this call from Jack Henry. And, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so we started, and it was I, I war stories fascinates me. Oh, I, I watch them on movies, and I love to hear his stories. But his stories were anecdotes, and they were like two paragraphs long. So what I had to do was take these anecdotes, research the area, research the battle he was fighting, and research his friend. I did all the research, and I developed finally a decent-sized memoir out of it. So mm. I got to know a lot about the war. He ended up with only one scar on his forehead, his only injury. So he was he was a hero. Ended up a general, the, young, the youngest general at that time. Um, so anyway, that that was those were my ghostwriting stories, and I thought enough of this. I'm going to do my own novel. After you finished your stint as in travel, then then where did you go? What did what what did you do? I think I was about maybe in my seventies. Oh, uh huh. It took me a long time. I wrote it twice. I wrote it mm. once, and it wasn't very good. So I took a class at Arizona State on novel writing, and we wrote it, and that one got published. That one was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was Poetic Justice. My baby. Poetic Justice is about a woman. Well, it started because this mem- memoir that I wrote for the general got absconded. His son-in-law took it and published it without my name on it, which absolutely, oh, it just really broke my heart. I mean, I just couldn't stand it. So this story is my vengeance. (laughs) Now, is that the poetic justice or what is, okay. About a young woman who wants to be a poet, who wants to change her life. She's 37. She wants to change her life. She decides she's going to become a poet. So she starts taking poetry courses, fell in love, of course, with a poet who served as her muse and her lover. And in the end, he got dried up and stale, and he was wanted to be published. So he stole all her poetry and had it published. And this devastated her, too, as I was devastated. And she goes to New York. She's transferred. She's a travel agent. She goes to New York (laughs) and just kind of ferments in New York and discovers that this poet poet's uh, book is being published and the and the critics are just raving over it. they just think it's wonderful and she discovers that it's all her poetry so she goes to a reading thinking she'll accost him but she doesn't she slinks out and gets drunk and her buddy who has followed her to, to New York, meets her in the bar, and he says, there ought to be a law. Ding dong, the, the light bulb goes off. She uh, decides to sue him. 
and she does, and she wins, and the rest is happiness. She gets a settlement, she gets a master's and a doctorate in poetry, and she ends up teaching French mm -hmm. poetry in Paris. So that's a good ending. <laughs> You know, the thing I the thing I like about it is that it's not a typical romance story where she doesn't get her man and live happily ever after. She gets her doctorate and lives happily ever after. Mostly, the end of it takes place in New York. Um, a little of it takes place in Paris. Before we end, we'd love to have you read a brief excerpt. Would you do that? Oh, I'd love to. Okay, <laughs> I love my book. <laughs> yes. So we'll we'll come back to that in a moment. But are you planning to write another novel? Right now, I'm writing my own memoir, and I don't think I'm ever going to do anything with it because I don't want anybody to know. Of uh, I went through a very horrible period in my life, um, t a ten-year period in my forties or fifties, I guess it was. And I, you know, it's it's good to write things that are bothering you, but it's not good mm -hmm. to publish them. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll make a novel out of that. Uh, it sounds like you might be inspiring, though, to others who go through difficult periods in their life. Well, it might be because I had such a program to get myself through, and I went step by step. There were five things that were bothering me, and I went step by step and got rid of them all. The final thing was my divorce, and I did that. And after I um, did it, after I got through them all, I thought, hmm, now what will I do? i got nothing to think about, nothing <laughs> to bother me. Because what I would do is I'd get up every morning, and this took about two or three years, I'd get up every morning dressed for the weather, if it was freezing out, mm -hmm. I was dressed for that weather. And I would go mm -hmm. out and I'd walk the beach. And then I'd figure out the answer to that one problem. And then I'd go home and I'd work on that problem. Next morning, I'd get up and I'd walk the beach. So I, I walked the beach for a long time. And when I was finished solving all my problems, I went out on the beach and I thought, hmm, what am I doing out here? <laughs> I have nothing to think about. So that was the end of my beach walking. <laughs> Well, you could have walked the beach anyway. <laughs> I could have, but I didn't know what to think about. I didn't know what to do with my <laughs> with my brain. And now, now, of course, the mayor says I can't walk the beach. So that's right. I'm, I'm not walking the beach. We we are uh, recording this during the Corona virus pandemic, and we're all in our own homes. Right? We're just yeah. Stuck yeah. in place or staying in place. I'd rather think about it that way, not as stuck. And looking and at looking the beach. Because <laughs> I, I, yes, I live along the lakefront, so we both can look yeah. at it. Yeah. So you can watch it. Well, that's a nice view anyway. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's on it. It's very interesting. So was it after this 10-year period that you began to write seriously? Um, well, I was writing seriously. I was with um, several writing groups, the last one of which is it's generations. That's, that's what the word is. Um, and But mostly essays, mm -hmm. mostly 
magazine articles, mostly, you know. You know, Mary had looked at the Goodman Theater uh, gener Generations program, and can just tell us a bit about that, because it just seems so, so fascinating to me. It's, it's, it was the Chicago Public Libraries, libraries um, project, and they would take little groups of 10, 12, 15 women over 55, and they would pick out a play. Well, first it was just essays, and then Goodman took it over from the library. And they would pick out a play, and that would be the theme of your writing. And you would write a five-minute essay, and it was writing for reading. So it was different kind of writing. It was very interesting. And then you would read it in class. We'd meet for six weeks, once a week. You read it in class and get critiques on it. And then you go home and you rewrite it according to what was critiqued. And you do this for six weeks. So by the end, you had a pretty polished piece of writing. It was a very good exercise to, to make you rewrite and make you rewrite and make you rewrite. Mm. And um, we did that for each of the participants. And I noticed, I, I joined a maybe about 10 years ago. But I noticed, and the same people kept coming back session after session, that the writing, for, it first started out, it was really awful writing. And we would correct it, and they would correct it. But towards the end of, of the 10 or 11 years that I belonged, these writers were really fantastic writers. And they just, they knew how to write for reading, and they, they just were very good. Good to see the development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you had promised us a reading uh, from your book. Would you like to do that now? Yeah, I can do that now. Let me give you a little backstory on this. My, my character, as I said, is 37, looking for a readjustment to her life. She discovers poetry almost by chance. She joins a session and and likes what it was doing to her, fell in love with, with one of the writers who was a poet and a, with a very terrific voice. And she fell in love with the voice first, and then she tried to meet him but had trouble meeting him. Finally, she did, and finally he started pursuing her on emails. And it got beyond emails. She finally had a date with him, and then she finally started seeing him a lot and discovered he was married, which was a blow. And when she discovered that, she dropped him and started this decision to go to New York. She was transferred to New York by her company. And she was followed to New York by her very dear friend, whose name was Dietz. Demetrius was his name. They called him Dietz. And he was there as her best buddy. I mean, he was right by her side all the time. And towards the end, they're both going to New York together, and Dietz is trying to get her in a mindset that would be good for her in New York. So he comes over, and he starts going over this romance she had. And it's just disturbing her in a wind because it's bad, bad memories, and she doesn't want to go through so he he comes in, he sits in her 
kitchen, takes a beer, and she start he starts asking her questions about when did you, you know like when did you meet him and when did you go out with him and blah blah blah. So this is the middle of the question. He and Dietz is saying, "What was he doing in that month and a half while you were falling in love?" Dietz pushed his luck. I don't know, washing his car, cooking dinner, rubbing his wife's back, burying, buying her roses, who knows? And did he ever cook you dinner, rub your back, buy you roses? Yes, he did, Jenny said. Not dinner, but he bought me roses. He brought me a single roses. Once he brought me tulips, and once he brought me a tiger lily he stole from somebody's alley to make up. And how many times did he need to do that? Make up. How many times were you mad at him? I was never mad. Disappointed. Never mad. A clarity developed. What little right she had to be so forlorn. Dietz persisted. He raked his fingers through the curls of his shaggy hair. How many times? For how long? He became relentless, eager to make his point. Geez, Dietz, I don't know. What are you doing this for? It's bad enough that it happened the way it happened without you dragging me through the whole horror all over again. I don't want to hurt you, Jen. I just want to put it in perspective. I want you to start out in New York fresh. No baggage. He was trying to make it easy for Jenny to pack it up for New York. All right. Maybe I only had a couple of months of good stuff. Maybe the rest of the time we were out of sync. But when the wheels were meshing, it was glorious. A couple of months, Dietz said. More than a month of that was spent in courting you by computer. I was there, remember, when those words on fire came through. I felt the excitement. Dietz settled into the kitchen chair, taking another poke. And then there was that month when I couldn't mention his name without you snarling. Yes, there was that. It was a very rocky time. I should never have let him back in. But you did. So what do we have here? Maybe at most a couple of good months when you add up the good days. And nights, she had to add. His cold stare reduced the time spent with the mountain man to insignificance. She couldn't bear to have that happen. Not yet. Not now. All right. Good days and nights. A couple of months out of your 30 years. 37. 37 years. What wisdom had those extra seven years given her? She sank down in the chair knowing the answer was none. So once in 37 years you thought you had last found love. A couple of months of love. Ace's face was adopting a two wise for his ears veneer. His mouth crimped into an irregular line. His bottomless eyes narrowing. Love, yes, at last, love, she said. The word became a sound, a meaning of sound. You are wrong, you know, he said, straightening up in his chair. He took a slow breath before he dared to add, it wasn't love. You get nothing out of love. What you found was imagination and inspiration, a kickstart to poetry. What you got was poetry. No. Love. That's it. <laughs> wow.
Poetic Justice by Mary Gray. It's available from bookshop.org or adelaidebooks.org and also on amazon.com. Mary Gray, thank you so much for sharing this with us. And uh, I know you're, you're a feisty lady. You keep, keep on fighting. And, and uh, is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? I would like to leave them with number one, the fun of writing, of writing, period, fiction, poetry. I got into writing poetry too. It wasn't very good, but I did. Um, and to pay attention to the world, what's happening in the world, because it, it affects you no matter how old you are. It affects you. It affects you and your children and your grandchildren and their children if they ever have them, which I sometimes wonder if they will. Um, it's, it's a, it, it is a wonderful world. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And we, we just really appreciate it. Yes, thank you, Mary Gray. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts in our Facebook group at Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Become an active participant in our community and join us at our Zoom events. Access our weekly Wednesday podcasts. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us at womenover70.com. So see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.